Welcome to We the Brothers. For this episode, we invited our dear brother, Mr. Evan Pham, to share his story with us. He is a member of UCLA Lambda Phi Epsilon Fraternity, a 100% hustler, and a very thoughtful person with brilliant ideas. He is now an accounts manager at Reddit in New York City, and certainly is successful on many, many levels. Before he joined Reddit, he helped build a startup called Dealflix. It is an online ticketing company which eventually partnered with over 750 movie theaters and raised over $1.7 million in seed funding. He helped them by driving a van across America, going door to door to convince people to work with them. In today's episode, he takes us down memory lane and talks about how all the networking he did within the fraternity network helped him get to where he is today. Enjoy. Y'all, this is how we kick it. Let me start it off like a Molotov, letting it burn up in the distance. So listen to these humble words that I be giving. You're missing the point, so just try and see the vision. I pass it. All of my knowledge up in this basket. Really wanna see you succeed before the casket, the masking. All of y'all just one question. How do we synergize and on the bar progression? I'm guessing. Start a dialogue up in the session. A message is a quest for the truth, so here's a lesson. Okay, welcome to our show, Evan. It's nice to have you here today. What's up, fellas? Evan is a very respected friend and a brother. He's super smart, and we've always had a lot of interesting conversations, very deep conversations back in the days when I was in the fraternity in college. Very excited to have you here today to be able to pick a brain on certain things. Why don't you say hi to everybody, Evan? Hey, what's up, fellas and everyone? Thanks for having me on the show, Roy and Sean. And I think it's awesome what you're doing because, you know, in light of what, what's going on right now with the world, politics, in the Asian Greek life, yeah, it's just really unprecedented. So I think just having just some good news here or some good conversations will, will do us all some good. I mean, one of the reasons why we wanted the show is because we have such a diverse group of people and you are definitely no exception. You are probably one of the most unique individuals that I know, and that's why we're very honored to have you on our show today. So, Roy, go ahead and just ask Evan some questions so we can know a little bit more about him. Yeah, so it's been it's been a little while. We have been in contact with each other for the graduate chapter stuff that I'm doing, but you know, other people might not know. Can you give them an update on what you're doing right now? You're in New York right now, and what's your job and what's your daily life look like? Yeah, gosh. Oh, where do I start? A lot has happened since UCLA. What was that? Like almost like eight, nine years ago? Yeah. <sighs> oh my goodness. Well, I'm not going to give a life story here, but right now the most exciting things that I have going on is I just started a new job at Reddit. Congrats. What are you doing at Reddit? Wow. Yeah. You're looking at a senior account manager. So I'll be helping advertisers on Reddit. So let's say like, you know, Roy's Donut Shops wants to advertise on Reddit, you know, have some cute videos or images and copy, then you would work with me and I would just help you make, get the most bang for your buck on Reddit. And when I say just started, like today was day two. No way. Congratulations, sir. Thanks. I don't really need any help on starting or advertising, but you will eventually. Most recent search was uh, how to brew mushroom tea. So I did need Reddit for that. <laughs> mushroom tea. <laughs> Are you, talking, are you talking about psychedelic mushrooms or like some other kind of mushroom? We can't say much on air, but you know. Shiitake mushrooms, okay? Come on, guys. 
just mushrooms, okay? Just uh, brew it in ginger and, you know, throw in some lime and stuff. Like, I get it. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Reddit is <laughs> a good spot for that, man. I know what you're talking about. So aside from that, I'm definitely happy to share more about that. And, you know, I still have, I always have side schemes or side hustles going on. Right now, I'm actually working with Michael Lee, Manatee, if you remember as well, on a little side project we have going on. The dude's up to big things. And he heard from somewhere that, that I was an AdWords wizard. And I was like, yep, I am. And then we just started working together. So there's something cool brewing up there. Can you talk about that? Is it Bombies or is it something unrelated to the first product it has? Some other product. And I don't want to disclose too much, but yeah, some other product that he's moved on to. And um, yeah, he's, he's up to some cool things. Nice. So I got that. And, you know, I'm always doing like community work as well. You know, I keep a pulse on Lambda's. Whether it be on national board, I sat in on convention for a few hours. Roy, uh, you know, we were chatting a little bit about that as well. And uh, you know, I've taken on that, taken on the task of doing some anti-racism, anti-sexual harassment training for my graduate chapter, for my own selfish purposes of of learning how to, you know, cultivating this kind of language to educate others and myself. Most importantly, I think that's the biggest thing. I saw it as an opportunity to learn a lot about this myself because we, I think we really need it. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those are just a few things that I got going on. Yeah. What about you guys? People have probably heard what you are doing already, but tell, give me like a TLDR. Like, what are you guys up to? You first, Roy. So before I talk about myself, Evan has agreed because the graduate chapter and, you know, for rechartering a new undergrad chapter, we're going to need in the future some anti-racism, anti-sexual harassment stuff. It's been a big problem in, in Greek organizations. And Evan is a really thoughtful person. He's involved in a lot of, uh, you know, the BLM protests and stuff. So I asked him to help me and he agreed. So that's that's really good because it takes a, a huge load off of our shoulders. And, you know, happy to work with him again in some capacity, even though he didn't officially join the board, even though I do want him to. But um for me is is not so different from the first episode. I've just been doing still working hard in my chemistry PhD program, trying to finish my last year. In the meantime, thinking about what I'm gonna do in the future. This is a part of what my future endeavors look like, coming up with some business ideas surrounding my passion and what I hope that I will be doing one day, which is probably related to food and restaurant business but not actually cooking myself. So, you know, not to give away too much, but that's what I've been up to. Nice. And yeah, Evan, so, you know, we used to hang out a lot, especially when you were up here in San Francisco, but you left us about two years ago. But yeah, since then, I actually left my full-time job as an engineer and I've kind of delved, you know, into real estate all in. And uh, most recently though, I've been focusing mostly on the content creation side. So like this podcast, I have another podcast where I interview a lot of these like local real estate investors and professionals. I also host like a YouTube channel where I'm like um, giving out advice on how to invest in real estate and whatnot. So that's been my life for the past few years. Oh yeah, I forgot, I forgot. So I did talk about my Amazon retail business. I, did, I forgot to say that, but today I think I just hit $1,000 in sales for the month and we're on the last day of June. Right on bro. Congratulations. When did you start again? When did you start Amazon? I probably started for real. So I started trying to do my own stuff naively, probably last year, let's say October. But then we really didn't do that much until 
you know, over the holidays and stuff. And then I came back and then it was like a hot mess. And about in February, I asked man for help. And then I finally adopted his full system. And now it's in June. So, I, you know, it's taken three, four months. That's good stuff, dude. I had already had the account, you know, with the professional seller and everything way earlier, like last year. But, you know, cool, man. trying to learn man's way and yeah, doing exactly what he says, taking three, four months to, to get to this place. Is that what man is up to right now? Yeah, that's what man is up to. Yeah, That's a side hustle. That's to uh, pay for his nanny for his baby so he can play video games all day. It's a goal, man. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I'm curious what that guy's up to. But yeah, dude, that's Roy. That's awesome, man. At least he got started. I think it's, at least you're doing it. You know what I'm saying? And that's something, you know, I respect anyone for actually like just getting started and not talk all day. And Sean, I think that's something that I always admired about you is that, you know, you, you've tried a lot of things. Yeah, you've tried a lot of things. You don't actually just talk to talk, but you walk to walk. So, you too, man. I mean, you were doing that startup business. I remember that wasn't easy, right? It was all in ads and whatnot. Do you want to talk about that journey? And you know, why did you go back to the W two life? Save that one. Hold on. So enough catching up. Now, I'd like to start from the very, very beginning. Okay. So Evan, if you've not heard last episode when we were talking about uh, talking to Sam. We talked about our upbringing, who we were when we joined the fraternity. And also, you know, as a Vietnamese person, right, a lot of the Vietnamese bros that we have are descendants from refugees, right? So just to give the audience a little bit more context, can we start before you joined Landify Epsilon? And who were you as a kid? And where did you come from? How did you hear of Lambdas when you came to UCLA? So how I heard of Lambdas, it was really all by accident. It was one of the best accidents that could have happened. Like I'm, I'm a nerd and dork at heart, whatever those might be used interchangeably, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a nerd and dork at heart and, you know, getting into UCLA, like that's, that was just a, a grand opportunity. And, and I remember it was like week zero, I'm still green here. And my friend, one of my best friends, actually, Olivia Wu now. Oh, and Sylvia. Sylvia Zhao was in town. And uh, they said, hey, come out to Lambda Rush. And I was like, really? Like, shouldn't I be studying or something like that? I, this was week zero. Wait, you knew them from high school or what? I knew Sylvia from high school. We went to the same high school together. Oh, wow. Yeah. Were you like valedictorian? Were you like super studious? How was it in high school? No, yeah, I, was, I was studious. I studied hard. I didn't think I studied smart as smart as I could have, but yeah, you know, just, just your average Asian. <laughs> yeah. I don't really have much to comment about that. That's, that's a whole nother story if you want to get into it, but you know, studied hard, did decent, didn't really have a great SAT score, but UCLA, I guess they liked, you know, they liked my personality and like what I had to offer and thought I'd be a good value out on the campus. And uh, that's how I got in. And you were, yeah, I think so. I don't think I disappointed UCLA. And uh, yeah, my friends just said, hey, come out to Lambda Rush. And I was like, should I be, don't people study week zero? Like the dorms <laughs> are quiet and stuff. And, and they're like, they were just laughing and like, no. Like, I was like, mm, okay. Don't people study? Little did I know that was the downfall when things went downhill. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. We got, you got turned. <laughs> yeah, that was the start. The start of that saga and era. And yeah, I went out to Rush. It was the last day of Rush. I went out to Lambda House. I remember all the bros were tired. Nobody even. That was your first event that you went out? 
you were studying up until then. <laughs> I, was, I don't know. I don't know what the hell I was doing, but yeah, it was the last day of rush. Everyone at the Lambda house, they were just, you know, people watching TV, barbecuing in their own little world. And no one even greeted me. Everyone's just like done. Like, oh, who's this guy who just showed up here on the last day? Yeah. We yeah. don't know who he is. Screw it. We're done, man. And rightly so. If I were them, I, I would do the same thing. Um, maybe. So anyway, then I just got there and I talked to two people. I talked to two people. I talked to Tadashi and I talked to Reno. Nice. And it turns out to be the only people I didn't really need to talk to because, you know, as you know, Tadashi became my big bro and Reno became my pledge dad. Yeah, just a 15-minute conversation with them and they vouched for me and that's how I got a bid. And I didn't get to experience any of Rush, didn't get to meet anyone. So everyone was like, who the hell is this? So I was sort of like the last wild card to got into that class. So stroke of luck, you might say. And uh, yeah, that's that's how I got into Lambdas. You didn't check out any other groups? No, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, no, I didn't. You just accepted the bid? Like they just gave you a bid and you just accepted it? Like what, what, what did you think of Lambdas when you first saw them? Like they were super cool. Like you were... So because my friend Sylvia, and then that's when I met Olivia, who became my twin. So I guess they all had some sort of... They had a little scheme going on, probably. A twin um, is basically you you share the same big bro, right? Right. So it looks like, you know, even the first day I showed up, I'm sure they were scheming and I'm glad <laughs> that they did. And, you know, Sylvia was biased. She loved Lambdas, Olivia as well. And I guess they determined that, okay, this guy's going to pledge for Lambdas. And I was like, okay. And I asked <laughs> them, I asked them, yo, um, tell me about Lambdas. And then they just said, uh, they have a reputation. They're one of the coolest, tightest bros you'll ever meet. And it's a real challenge and obstacle to get into their program, to say the very least. And I just thought, okay, that sounds pretty good to me. I like it. <laughs> it can't be that bad. So challenge accepted. Were they Lamlo sisses? Were they sorority girls? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Olivia was Demoy's little sis at the time. And then Olivia was Tadashi's little sis. So Lamlo sis. Either, yeah, informally or formally. I see. That's cool. So the girls got you. They definitely played a role. I didn't join for the girls just because that's just, that just wasn't how I rolled. I joined because I thought, like, it was, a, again, like, the challenge was something that drew me in. And also, yeah, it just seemed, the dudes seemed pretty cool. You know, they seemed like really cool dudes that, um, that I can learn a lot from and, and um, be a part of a community. So... Those are the most enticing factors, really the brotherhood and growth opportunities. Can you recall some of the most memorable times that you spent at school with Landis? What were some of the crazy things you did or some of the most memorable things? Just say the first thing that comes to head. He's trying to be careful, okay? You got to be careful when you say these kind of things. Don't think too much. We can cut it later. You can just talk about the sitting on the Landis steps and chilling with all your homies. I think the number one thing, dude, is just all the people that I met. I have plenty of stories, but I think where one of the instances... You don't have to name where, them. You don't have to name anybody. Just tell me the story. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I won't, I won't give names, and I wasn't going to anyway. But I think one of the instances that really highlighted what I got out of Lambdas altogether was when I was doing my startup deal flicks, which entailed me driving around the country starting from like California to Phoenix, Texas, Georgia, Florida, you know, pretty much all over the country, right? 
all the way up to like New York. When were you doing that? I did that right after I graduated UCLA in 2012. Yeah, I jumped into startup world before startups were cool and before van life, living in vans was a thing. So that's what I was doing. And, you know, like I remember in Texas, I stayed in stayed at Ben Pay's place, my great grand big. I stayed at his place in Sugarland, Texas for two weeks. So that that was just freaking awesome. I also stayed at Dallas. For free? Yeah. If anything, they took he took real good care of me. And I thank him. I'm always grateful for that. Because while I stayed at his place, we could go out and network with the movie theaters, go out and do our business development. In Texas too, I got to know like Austin, Austin Landers, Houston Landers, Dallas Landers. I got to stay at, I got to party with them and also like stay at their places while I did my, my Dealflix thing. So that's one example in Georgia, Atlanta. I had like a handful of bros there. I crashed at their place exclusively. New York, same deal. Boston, same deal. And uh, New Jersey, same deal. Chicago. Let me interrupt you for a second. And I really never got the full story from you. Or maybe you told me and I forgot. But what was Dealflix about and why did you need to go to all these places on in the van? Yeah, Dealflix, just a simple way of putting it is Priceline for movie tickets. So just like how we buy airplane tickets at a discount so that airplanes can get some marginal revenue with no marginal cost. Same thing with movie theaters. That was the theory behind it. And we got pretty far. You know, we, we grew up to like at least 15 million valuation, at least. And the reason why I drove around a van was because, I mean, hotels and airplanes were expensive. So we decided to just go in a van and sleep in a van and drive around instead. You're a real trooper, sir. Well, you know what? Uh, I would like to think Lambda's really trained me for that. <laughs> I remember <laughs> you were telling me about your stories, how you would like wake up, you would go to like a hotel and eat their breakfast there, get their Wi-Fi, start working, and then go to 24 hour to go shower or something like that. Yep. That's exactly it, man. And it was one of the best. Sounds like a great life for someone in the early 20s, right? One of the best times of my life, dude. And I, <laughs> I'd do it again if I still had my van. So yeah, Roy, that's the reason why I did it. And to answer the original question, yeah, Lambda's dude, like it based if Dealflix wouldn't be wouldn't have gone to where it was without Lambda's because I, I exercised my network and connections throughout America, crashed at their place, you know, they housed me and the network just came through multiple folds. And you keep crediting Lambda's, but can you remind me how involved you were in college? What positions did you hold? You were pledged that for one quarter, right? Mm, yep. Okay. Let's see. Pledge Fellow Seven. Also got Pledge of the Year award. Still proud of that. Nice. And then jumped right into Executive Board Rush Chair, which entailed, you know, oh, planning. Wow. That year was. That's right. You ran my rush. Thank you, sir. You got us, Sean. Hey, good job. He's like, damn it, I got the wrong guy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Sean, I, I totally forgot our interactions during Rush. But yeah, I remember talking to you and you left a good impression. So I, that was it for me. But I was busy doing, you know, handling the stuff there. Pretty much that was a pretty intense year. I got pretty burnt out. Did Fall Rush, Winter Rush, which was a failed rush for several reasons. And then Spring Rush afterwards. And that's where yeah. you came about, Sean. And before Spring Rush, I did Lambda Losis Pledge Dad as well. That's right. You're the Pledge Dad. Uh-huh. And Lambda Losis Rush. So you know, yeah, you you're a super lambda. That's right. Yeah, four rushes plus Lucas Pledge Dad. And Lucas Pledge Dad is probably one of the greatest things that happened for me. 
at UCLA. After that next year, I was burnt out for like the next two years, took a break, then came back and did pledge that. The Holy Grail. Yeah, fourth year, fourth or fifth year, fourth year, I think. And uh, yeah, that, that kind of wrapped up my land of career. Oh, well, actually, that's not including being SoCal governor, well, unofficially lieutenant governor, and then SoCal governor, and then West Coast governor on national board. So my land of career went on until a few years after I graduated UCLA. So that's how involved I was, man. You're a true example of a leader among men, Evan. I look up to you. Thanks. How close are you with your like kids, you know, like in the little sis side and on the active like Bay Delta? I mean, I, I love all of them. If I had to choose, I kind of like my little sis kids more. I, I choose them. I choose them. It's because Bay doesn't get you too much sass, man. Who are your little sis kids? Can you name some of them? First name? Let's see. Recently, I talked to like um, Kay, Colleen, Jackie Dang. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Say no more. Say no more. Say no more. Okay, got it. They're great. I love them. They're yeah. so fun. I might know one of them, so say no more. Dude, they rushed us really hard, by the way. So you did a great job as Pledge Dad. Oh, yeah, that's right. To motivate the spring class. Like, oh, this is great. Yeah, I think they did, they did a great job. Let me ask you, though. So Lil Sis is, for anybody who doesn't know, Lil Sis is Helpers Rush, right? They have a Pledge Dad. They have big bros. They have the same thing, just like uh, any other Lambda would. But not all of them are helpful like they were, right? Like your kids were. Not all of them are equally motivated. It has to do with the pledge that a lot of times. And you mentioned that was probably one of the best experiences you had as the Lambelosis pledge that. Can you talk to us more about it? Why? I got to give credit to my predecessor, Demoy, because he, prior to Demoy, the program was a joke. It just wasn't very taken seriously. And it was half-assed a lot of times. And it just wasn't, you know, utilized to its fullest capacity. So Demoy really set the bar exponentially higher. And then I, of course, you know, wanted to exceed that bar. And I followed suit and, you know, took his program, ran with it, you know, poured my heart, soul, money into it and time. And I think it really paid off. I got, I would say, like 15, 15 some best friends. A good indicator of how close they were was how many of them chose to live together the following year. I think that's a good indicator for any an interesting KPI to look at for any, if you want to measure success of any program, right? And yeah, they were actually really involved. The, the bros loved them. They were really involved the house for like the next, you know, year or two or three. And then I think Albert Yang followed suit and he did a freaking good job too. Yeah. He did a stellar job as well. So I think like, yeah, the credit first starts with Demoy. And then from then on, we just really did try to follow suit. I'm not sure what happened after Albert Yang you guys probably know that better than I do. It was still pretty good. I think we had a really good track of solid uh, classes for the Little Sis program. Mm-hmm. I think the Little Sisters are, it adds an interesting dimension to the organization overall, right? If it's just the guys, it just feels like you have like, you actually have like females in your family and you decide different things, right? Like if it was just all guys, we'd be doing very different things. But then now with the addition of Lamb Little Sis, like we would go bowling sometimes, we would go like, Santa Monica Pier and stuff. Eating a lot of times, for sure. Yeah. And we meet like way more people through them too. Like the connection is it's just exponential. Yeah. And, you know, it was really beneficial for our sister sororities as well. They, you know, they weren't always as far sighted as that. But like, 
you know, they might see them as competition, right? But in a way, like a lot of our, we were uh, a means to keeping them close in yeah. proximity to the, the sister sorority so that they can continue speaking to them. And if a lot of times our losses were interested in joining sororities afterwards and they go rush and, and pledge. And that was something that I think um, sororities, they didn't always notice or they weren't really aware of, but like, yeah. Yeah. They actually provided like one foot in the door, right? Cause some, some girls or guys, they're like, ah, oh, no, I don't want that sorority or fraternity thing. Right. Like just off right off the bat, like they're trying to sell you something, right? Trying to fire you. You just feel like, no, it's not, it's not what I want mm-hmm. for sure. Because of all the stereotypes. Right. But then Lambda Little Sis actually, you know, is, I would say a, a shorter program is an easier program for, for them to just get to know, get to be a part of Lambda Phi Epsilon, obviously not the whole thing, but a lot of them eventually end up joining our sister sororities. Right. Yep. Right after. So they got like people who knew how to rush people who knew how the big littles work, they seen, you know, all these processes and then they go into these sororities and help them with that. Right. They deal that knowledge into the organization. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it, it, now that you talk about it, it's very beneficial to them and to us at the same time. Yeah. So, I mean, strategy wise, if you to look at our organizations as businesses, like it's very mutually beneficial for everyone to invest in that program. Right. Thank you, man. Thank you for taking uh, what Demoy started and made it better. Yeah, you know, just we all tried. The pledge that's tried afterwards for sure. So, what have you done with Lambdas now? Do you continue to keep in touch with them? Do you hang out with them? Are they still a part of your life? I know we've talked about how we talk over the phone and stuff, but do you live with any of them? Do you see them on a daily in New York? Well, my roommate is actually my Santa Cruz pledge row in New York City. Wow. So, yeah. Mm, I definitely see a lot of bros in New York City. You know, I know bros who run some shops. I'm still meeting bros that run and own businesses. And I went to my Santa Cruz Pledge Bros wedding a few months ago in NorCal. So, yeah, I still think that the Lambda Network is still paying dividends. And, of course, I reinvest back into that. And, you know, it's given me still, like, housing, good connections, good learnings, good roommates. So, yeah. So now I know you talk to many, many people. You don't just talk to Lambdas. Obviously, Lambdas are a big part of your network. But have you ever been told, you know, why are you such a frat boy? Like, why are you so about this frat? Like, this is just a college thing. What do you have to say about that? Have you ever been told? Like, why are all your friends from the frat? Like, you know, it seems to be like closed-minded, right? Like that we're closed-minded, but we're actually not, right? Yeah, I think I would get some flavor of that if I told people that like I was still doing Lambda related stuff, like, you know, for example, taking on this role of developing this anti hate and anti sexual harassment, anti racism stuff. Or if I'm still involved in national board, yeah, you know, if some people might be like, Why are you still doing that kind of stuff? No, I don't get that too often, but sure, like it, it happens every now and then. And yeah, you know, you know, I just could explain to them that it's still like, you know, if you're a Lambda or if you're a part of any fraternity, right? I can't speak on behalf of their organizations, but if you're a Lambda, you're a Lambda for life. Your membership never expires. So it's kind of a lifelong thing that you have. So why squander it? Why do you think people say that to you? Well, I think their experiences are valid 
You know what I'm saying? Like their experience are valid. And what I mean by that is either one, they don't know what it's about. So therefore they're ignorant and they have no idea and they just go off of what they see on TV or movies. So, you know, that's their experience. I'm not going to invalidate that. That's just their opinion. That's one aspect. Another aspect is like, okay, they have been a fraternity or in Greek life and they might have used it, use that sort of circle or opportunity as a means for just something less significant, like just partying and socializing. And right. that was the extent of their experience. So again, like if they don't know anything beyond that, that's their experience. So that's what they're going off of. And, and they probably think that like every other fraternity experience is like that, but mine wasn't and yours wasn't either. Mine was definitely more rooted in, you know, uh, betterment, growth, leadership, networking, uh, career growth, and uh, activism. So those things, those are kind of like some sturdy values that you kind of don't just drop at the end of college, right? Those are some values that that you kind of want to exercise longer, like especially now. All right. Actually, to be honest, partying was pretty big for me at the beginning of college, right? Because I don't know if you know, but I didn't really connect with that many people, but I was a party animal in high school. I was like partying, going to nightclubs, you know, how Taiwan doesn't have a very strict clubbing policy, right? I got my brother's brother's alien residence ID that had a little baby on it. And my brother's only like one year older than me. So that's totally sellable. But either way, okay, I feel like as time went on in the fraternity, like partying gets old. Yeah, like you know, it's just some some desire you, you kind of hear from other people you see on TV, you want to experience that, right? Like playing beer pong, like talking to girls, like having a great time. But after a little while, it, it gets old, right? And I started looking at other things, right? Like some stuff that's, that's wrong about our house. Like, you know, why are we all Asians, right? That's something about our chapter that I didn't really understand. Like we couldn't get any more diversity in terms of race. And I, I'm sure other organizations... We're like that, right? I mean, some other organizations in IFC that I'm not going to name, they're predominantly white, predominantly black, predominantly Hispanic. So I think that's a pretty big problem that we need to work on for our chapter going forward. I guess another thing is, you know, yeah, people were not treating academics as important as they should, right? And that feeds into the stereotype of fraternity people are just party animals, right? Even though we might be like, you know, maybe 20, 30%, but we also care about other shit, right? What do you think are some of the things that we can do to improve diversity at UCLA? I mean, you know, UCLA is predominantly Asian, right? And so obviously if you're Asian interest fraternity, you're going to get a lot of Asians and people are going to select people who look like them and talk like them and think like them. But how do we jump out of this cycle? Yeah, you touched upon a lot of good stuff there. I think diversity is definitely an important factor, right, for all of us, especially today's climate. And I don't know, I guess, how do you do that? I guess it just starts with like, just starts with, I guess first you kind of have to really want it, you know, and I, I think at the time, like, I personally wanted it. I love meeting bros from like Kansas City or Kansas or Arkansas, wherever, and they're, you know, a whole chapter of white dudes, or you go up to like Buffalo and you get, you meet like whole classes of like black dudes and Indian people and Mexican dudes, like Jewish dudes, 
from New York. Actually, on the East Coast, there's a lot more diversity than on the West Coast, right? Even in like UC Berkeley, like even NorCal, SoCal, it's predominantly Asian. Yeah, I think it has to do a lot of factors, Roy. Like, first off, like we inherited a culture that didn't value that kind of diversity. And we, we inherited a lot of things, right? We inherited a culture that valued like just toughness, some form of like maybe some toxic masculinity as well. That was sort of our yeah. our higher values. Values was, you know, more social life. We valued, we didn't value education. That's not really, at least not our first, second, third year. And I think it just depends on, you have to kind of decide what you want to value, right? Like, you know, clear cut for me, I, I valued growth connections and experiences and relationships and partying kind of came like, you know, beneath all that. And then Roy, you, you said you, your values shifted from socializing and partying. And then, you know, your values shifted to become more focused on academics and, you know, bettering the organization. And that's what you focused on. Yeah. So I think, I guess it's like any company, right? Like it first starts off with leadership because, you know, it's like for any company, right? The founder's DNA is it's going to reach into all parts of the organization. It gets amplified what they value. And then secondly, like you recruit or hire based upon those values and that sort of DNA pool. So if we value partying, then guess what? We just rushed and recruited a bunch of dudes that did the same thing and it didn't didn't meet the criteria then we didn't want them someone valued education and you know being a good person and diversity then we just sort of overlooked them and just thought like not one of us so yeah starts with leadership culture what do you value and yeah just really addressing all those yeah good points i mean there were people like me or sean i mean even though we didn't value partying, if you valued academics yourself, you would have gotten pretty good, right? There were resources, whatever you you needed, people had resources to help, right? I mean, I was studying with, you know, Zhang and a lot, you know, Sean was giving me some resources, you know, his famous hard drive. That's uh, something that's... It became my Dropbox later, but yeah, very useful. Yeah, yeah, I mean, your Dropbox, yeah, very useful for EE majors. But you do make a good point. I think we need to put an emphasis. I mean, it's kind of like what Evan said, dude. It's like we were recruiting the people that, you know, we wanted to see. Like we want to see partiers. We want to see more athletic people. And we weren't really trying to go for people who valued academics above all else, right? We would think of them as like nerds, right? Individually, you're like I, I didn't go out to party every single day, right? I was stayed in my room studying all day long while you guys were outside. But that's like on an individual basis. So... And then when it comes to recruiting, it's like Evan said too, like, do we want more diversity at the time? I would argue like that wasn't our priority. You know, we wanted to get people who are like us. We wanted to just be more comfortable around more people, right? Like when you open up your gates to other races, other diversity, right? Then you run the risk of offending people when you have like inside jokes, then, but if it's at the cost of someone else, right? It's like a whole new dynamic that at the time when we're in college, we don't want that experience so it's kind of like evan says if you want the diversity then yeah it starts at the top you guys are gonna be recruiting a brand new class start from that like boom now you have a mixed bag of jelly beans right don't start with just all one flavor mm -hmm. and let me ask you guys this like during your tenure your undergrad tenure as a lambda 
did you ever have like a a vision of what our fraternity could be like a five, 10 year, 20 year, 50 year vision of what the fraternity could be? No. <laughs> I mean, I had an ideal of the kind of guys that we wanted in the house. Just like you said, I had a vision of the type of person in the house. It was always the next rush and the next rush, right? You're never really thinking five years, 10 years, right? You're thinking, what are we going to get in fall? Like how many people are going to graduate in the fall? And how are we going to sustain the same thing? How are we going to get the next house? There's too many things to think about, you know, for college students to even plan that. Yeah. Plus, you're only going to be there for another two or three years anyway. So why bother thinking five, 10 years? Don't forget, when you're a freshman, you think that seniors in college are super old and they know everything in the world. Obviously, now we're older. We're like, oh, you just graduated from college. You're a baby. You know nothing. Right. Yeah. um, I think you you make valid points. And I think I kind of had fun fantasizing like what, you know, what potential we could have had, right? Like, and I, I got that inspiration just from like people outside of fraternity. I think that's one of the most important things, right? I think maybe you guys learn at some point, if you stayed within the fence of what we had to offer, yeah, we were just thinking about what are our plans for next quarter? What's our budget for next quarter? What kind of parties are we going to throw? What kind of guys do we want to recruit? What kind of rush you want to plan? You know, very short-sighted, right? And nothing wrong with that. That's just how we operated. But then, you know, like I just had a vision like, okay, like 10 years from now, dude, like what could 10, 20 years from now, what if Lambdas was a force of nature in the political and economic arena where, you know, it was kind of like a, like an old boys club where you can really like, you know, invest in each other's businesses and support each other on these ventures. And of course, have a good time as well and travel to other countries and have these big parties and get togethers. And I think that's something that was missing as well. On top of what we were talking about earlier, of like culture and values and leadership and recruitment, we never really had like a, a grand vision for us to live into. And I think that's really important for anyone to have a, a long-term compelling vision that pulls you towards it rather than like, what are we going to do for lunch or what are we going to do for next quarter? But don't forget too, like in college, your term as president, vice president, pledge dad is only for three quarters, right? Fall to summer. And then and then what? Like your term is done. By the time it's spring quarter, you're like, I'm checked out already. So how much effort can you really do in that short time frame? So I was always thinking like, what if we had presidents for two years or three years? And what could they get done during that time? I think that would have been a really good start. Sean, I, I think it's important to start, you know, sort of cultivating that idea that, hey, you're a Lambda for life. Your lambda for life. Like I had aspirations of going on to national board and becoming president. So I just thought like, oh, undergrad's just a stepping stone. You know, like Jason Louis said it really well. Like our undergraduate careers, it's just a morsel of what Lambda's had to offer. A morsel, you know, four years in our life of like 80 years, dude. Like I just thought like, dude, you're freaking right, man. Why am I like, this is just four years. We have like 40 years. You know, so that's so true, and that's why I think, especially now with you know Roy, you're starting up a graduate chapter at UCLA. That's perfect because you're going to be there, pretty much forever, to guide that next wave of undergraduates who are going to need that guidance from a stable alumni base. Which you know, during our time at UCLA, I, I couldn't say that we had that stable alumni base that we could always rely on to help us whenever we had issues or stuff like that, right? It would only be like, if we try to change a program, then all these other alumni would come out of the woodwork to tell us how wrong we were or 
something to criticize us, but they were never really there for true guidance to help us evolve over time. That's the thing. I think alumni involvement is very, very important. Many, many other organizations, they have a history of setting up alumni chapters, but we don't, or newer organizations don't. And we, we're the biggest Asian interest fraternity in America, right? And we're just beginning to do that. Right now, a Florida brother is headlining this movement. He's got maybe New Jersey, Florida, LA, and Houston is book, uh, brewing it up. So once we get like five to 10 chapters, you're going to see that it's going to make a difference for sure in terms of providing them with, I think, how it looks like after you graduate, right? What a successful Lambda looks like that is continuously involved in bettering the fraternity as a whole, right? And I didn't see that in undergrad because our culture was like, fuck the nationals, right? They're always trying to like restrict us. They're always not letting us do anything. And then with alumni too is they come out with this kind of Asian parent and this we probably inherited from other people, right? They always come in and just tell you what you're not good at. Don't do this. Don't do that. You could do better here. But they're not telling you what you're doing good at. They're not encouraging you. So it's kind of like this affirmative thinking in golf where if you keep thinking, don't hit it in the water, don't hit it in the water, you're going to hit it in the water, right? You got to keep thinking about, let's hit it on the green, hit it on the green, right? So what does it look like to be a successful Lambda to be you know, to take our time after work to do these things and set an example for other people. Those alumni weren't, uh, to be frankly, like you were coming out here, joining our meetings, and we don't even know what you do, but you come in here and then just change everything that we do, say everything is trash, right? How is anybody going to accept that, right? Even if we're young individuals, we still spent time, like all summer, all fall, trying to plan these things, right? And you come out here and not being able to understand, it's like a parent you know, I score 80, but, you know, why didn't you score 20 points higher? But I score 80, yo. Like, deserve some credit, right? Mm -hmm. It also takes training for people to lead undergrad chapters. So that also needs to be fixed, right? Like alumni involvement is very, very important. But we didn't have that. Yeah. Yeah, Roy, you brought up good points. Like, we don't, we didn't really have the backing of alumni. and Most, not just most landers, but most people in general are, terrible managers and terrible leaders, you know, myself included in a lot of regards. But, you know, and I think to add to what you're saying, I think the important question for alumni is, is why? You know, like, they're actually very logical people. You know what I'm saying? Like, people are actually really logical. It just, if they're, they don't really have incentives to contribute back, then they're actually pretty smart. You know what I'm saying? In fact, the person that, the alumni that wants to come back and continue to contribute they're kind of the irrational ones. They're rational in sense like they're just doing it out of emotional reasons and passion. So that's something that I think, you know, can be addressed. And I can take it a step further, which is that when I say like why, right, it didn't, doesn't really make sense for adults to go back and contribute to this organization unless there's a good, you know, it's a mutually beneficial relationship. For me, I was already sold on the vision that like, okay, Lambos provides networking. It provides growth. Being at the LA chapter, I saw it as like a glorified sandbox where you can exercise and practice and have like on the court real life experiences of how to be a leader, how to manage, how to do program development, how to change the culture of an organization. And if you instill that kind of, if you instill that sort of um, idea into others, then they might be like, dude, that sounds awesome. Like sign me up. I'd love to get all that. But instead we sold them on like, girls and partying and 
all sorts of other nonsensical things that it's not a compelling vision to live into. Actually, I think you're a little too humble. You say you're not a good leader, but you know, I feel like you feel this way and we, we all feel this way sometimes. But And this is how exactly I feel in graduate school. So going to graduate school, I thought I was the shit, right? Because getting accepted to UCLA, having a professor acknowledge me and, and get me in personally was a huge boost, right? But then soon I realized I didn't know shit, right? Now I'm in my fourth year and I'm really realizing I don't know shit about chemistry, right? The more you learn about a craft, the more you practice, that's when you realize that you're not good at it, right? There's many things that you still need to improve on. But, you know, just look at your track record, man. You did the Deoflex thing. You had two plush classes. You held multiple positions. And now you're manager position at, at Reddit, right? So I would say you're a pretty good leader. And you probably just realized that. And don't beat yourself down, man. You probably just had some bad experiences. And not everybody's perfect. Just like me. When I'm in, in the lab, you know, one, two mistakes doesn't mean I'm a bad chemist. But I, I'm definitely getting to understand that. You know, I'm lacking in certain areas. And I think that's where you're at too, probably. Yeah, you got a good point, Roy. And I guess a more appropriate word is just, you know, we're always learning, right? Right. We're always in training. And um, I think that's that's always a good start for any leader. It's just recognizing you're always in the inquiry, right? And always asking, what do I need to know that I don't know? Uh, what can I do better? Like, you know, what do I, what do I need to do more of? What do I need to do less of? So, you know, and when people stop asking those questions, then... That's when, that's when they start growing. Exactly. Yeah. Those are the people who are like, I've learned everything I need to know. And those are the people who are actually not good at it because they're done. They're done. They don't have passion. They don't have interest anymore. Right. Yeah. I totally agree, dude. So we're almost at the end of the episode. So just to wrap it up, I want to ask one last question for you. If right now, let's say they're a young person going into college, thinking about joining a Greek organization or a student organization, what are some advice that you can give this person? Mm. Okay. If they were considering it, well, first thing I would say is that one, you don't need to have a Greek experience. You don't need to do anything for that matter. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a million different permutations and ways to get a fulfilling college experience. You know, if, if personally, if I didn't have Landis, I think it would be, well, college would be much it'll be very different. Let's put it that way. But, you know, there's no right or wrong way to do college. So I think that's the first thing that I would just, you know, remind people, right? There's no right or wrong way to do things. And then secondly, if you are considering, you know, Greek organization or any organization, I think it's important to ask the question like why and have a good reason why and have a long-term reason why. You know, if like what's any organization can offer social life, right? So that's not really unique. And yeah, that's not a not really a competitive advantage that you know at least Lambdas can offer. Like you know, by far, like there are other organizations that offer way better social life. So if you want a better social life or big, better, more partying, then go join someone else. But I think it's important to ask yourself like, why join a Greek organization? Right? It's you know, what is it that you want, and do those values align with yours? If you value education you know, being successful at life and learning and growing and meeting some awesome people, then just see if that organization checks off on the boxes. And if they don't, then find something else. So all in all, I think the takeaway for anyone is just make sure that there's alignment and that you're clear on what you want. And you just go, yeah, you just go and test it. So just one more question. And thank you for 
the answer. That was very insightful. Yeah. I'm also very interested in what you think about the people in our network who have not utilized it as much as you have or I have. For example, there are some lambdas that, you know, disappeared after they cross. There are some lambdas that are not talking to other lambdas or they're afraid to ask for help. And how did you personally reach out to people you didn't know? And, you know, what are some advice you can give to these people? How to utilize the network to the maximum? Yeah, I think like as the years progress, you know, people just taper off. Like the number of active members, if you consider active, our active alumni, it's like people that still engage with other other fraternity members, for sure. Like it's like you just gradually decrease, right? As you like fit into your own bubbles and your social networks and whatnot. But so first off, they're not wrong. Like if they just don't want to be involved anymore, then that's that. But, you know, I think it's you earned your membership becoming a Lambda or any, whatever Greek organization, you earn your membership. It's like you have a gym pass. You have a lifelong gym pass to 24 hour fitness, LA fitness, Equinox, whatever you want to, you know, pick your flavor. And, you know, you could just not go to gym ever. That's fine. But if you're just leaving money on the table, you know, but if you go and you put yourself out there and you contribute and you cold message people, Facebook or LinkedIn or email or go out to alumni events, then you're probably going to get a lot of, a lot in return. So you kind of, you know, the advice that I have for people who aren't really taking full advantage of this gold mine of opportunity beneath them is if there's something that you need or want, then there's a good chance you could find it here. And so it's just up to you, dude. It's up to you to go to gym and put in the work. Yeah, I agree. The gym analogy is really, really nice. I think we could relate. Yeah, thanks, fellas. Let's do it again sometime. Thank you for listening to this episode of We The Brothers. If you have enjoyed this episode, please help us leave a five-star review so we can continue to produce quality content. If you have any suggestions, please don't hesitate to leave a comment or email us at wethebrothers1981 at gmail.com. For potential collaborations, and if you want to come on the show and talk about your own experiences, please email us at wethebrothers1981 at gmail.com as well. All of the materials were produced in-house by our very own Landify Epsilon Brothers. The cover art was designed by Andrew Tran, soundtrack by Albert Koshimune, a.k.a. DC Kazi Jones, and editing by Sean Pan. I hope you enjoyed our content. See you next time. Yo, this is how we kick it. Let me start it off like a Molotov, letting it burn up in the distance. So listen to these humble words that I'll be giving. You're missing the point, so just try and see the vision. I pass it. All of my knowledge up in this basket. Really wanna see you succeed before the casket, the masking. All of y'all just one question. How do we synergize and all of our progression? I'm guessing. Start a dialogue up in the session. A message is a quest for the truth, so here's a lesson. Listen.